We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Kia ora koutou. It's lovely to be here with you. It's lovely to be back with you. Although, if you're sitting here going, who is this guy? Uh, let me introduce myself. My name's Richard Black. Uh, I'm a counsellor and I head up this organisation called MindHealth that, that Warren was mentioning before. Now, now we have it as part of our, our heartbeat, our aim, is we want to enhance the well-being and the resilience of people. We want to create mental health tools that are accessible to our 5 million people. So we do that in a number of ways. We, we do that by offering insights and tools that come through our counselling, coaching, supervision, through the, the different training events, seminars that we run. But we also offer insights and tools through our Facebook page. So if you haven't liked us already, go and like Mind Health, and my social media person will be um, forever grateful. And also on that, it will it'll notify you about the, the next thing that we're moving into is we want to offer other tools in terms of like 20-minute podcasts on key topics on common issues that people face. So that's something else that will be available shortly. Also to that end, I've written a couple of books. I think the last time I was here, I talked about the first book that I'd written that was called Centered, knowing who you are in an off-balance world, which is all about our identity and, and who God has made us to be. And there's a little bit of God content in that so that you can pass it on to colleagues, friends, family members as well. But there's another book, a children's book that I've written called There's a Happy Moon in My Side. Now, that weird title came from an interaction I had with my middle girl when she was four years old. And she was upset one night, and I said, sweetie, let's get some good food in you. Let's get you having a good night's sleep. And that will help to put a happy mood inside of you. Well, when she woke up the next morning and I said, sweetie, how are you today? She said, daddy, there's a happy moon in my side. So this is a story about Lucy who wakes up one morning, discovers a happy moon. The happy moon helps her to become more emotionally aware and build some resilience. Sorry, what was that? Did I bring any copies? Yes I, yes, I did. Thanks for asking. You can come and see me at the end. But as far as today goes, what, um, what I want to speak about, I was asking Warren, you know, what would be useful? And he said that you've just come through a series on well-being and resilience. Is that right? Yep, three people remember it. That's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. So I said, so how can I add to this? And he said, well, the, the area that we haven't looked at, well, touched on, is the area of proactivity in terms of our well-being and resilience. So in many ways, that's what I want to speak with you today about. I want to look at this topic in many ways of a proactive perspective, or what we could also refer to as an overcomer's mindset. You see, it's our perspective that in one regard is one of those seemingly insignificant things. You know, people say, oh, oh, but of course, you know, everyone's got a different perspective. But it's our perspective that in fact is quite powerful in its impact in our lives that we often miss. You see, it's your perspective that, that could limit you. It can restrain you. It's your perspective that could harm you. It can dismay you. Or your perspective can, in fact, encourage you and set you free into greater things. 
So the way you see things is, in fact, profoundly important. And so what I want to do with you today is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that talks about three distinct perspectives spoken by three groups of people to see what we can hear from God in that about what He's asking of us. So if you've got your Bibles with you, come with me to Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to read from verses 10 to 18. But while you're finding that, if you've got your Bible or on your phone, pretending that you're looking for your Bible and just checking out what stuff is saying. But while you're doing that, let me just give you some background of this passage. Because where we pick up this passage is right at the moment when the Israelites have finally been set free from Egypt. The Israelites, from what we've known, have been enslaved in Egypt for about 500 years. And there's been this power encounter that's happened between God and Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh relents and releases the Israelites. And now they're wandering out of Egypt and they're wandering, trailing through the desert, heading towards the promised land, the land that God had set before them for over 500 years. They're leaving their men, their women, their children, their livestock, their livelihood, all trailing out through the desert, and they finally come up to the banks of the Red Sea where they camp. And while they're camped there, they're trying to work out, they're trying to wonder, how do we navigate this body of water? How do we cross this body of water? And as they're wondering that, they look over their shoulder, and what do they see? But Pharaoh and his army. Pharaoh has changed his mind. And Pharaoh and his army are coming bearing down upon them. Pharaoh has come to reclaim his slaves. He's either going to enslave them again or slaughter them. Either way, it doesn't look good. And my friends, if you've ever found yourself in one of those situations where you're in a deeply difficult situation, where you're up against the proverbial devil in the deep blue sea, when you find yourself stuck, where it looks like there's just no way forward, where it looks like there are no options, there's no choice, where you find yourself stuck in a place where you feel so powerless, where everything feels like it's going to overwhelm you and swallow you up, it feels like there's no hope, there's no way forward, there's only one thing left to do. Whinge. Whinge, complain, fuss. And that's what we hear the Israelites do. And so if you come with me, let's have a look, starting at verse 10. And we read there. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, now, I think this is one of the funniest lines in the Old Testament. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? I mean, what what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in this desert. Now, Moses answered the people. He said, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? 
Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So what we see here in this passage is we have three distinct perspectives spoken by three groups of people. The Israelites speak, then Moses speaks, and then God speaks. And let's have a look at each of these perspectives. So firstly, what we see is we see that the Israelites speak. And and what's their perspective? It's a powerless one. Now, it's understandable that they would have a powerless perspective, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, these are a group of people who have been enslaved for how long? 500 years. 500 years they have been abused and terrorized. 500 years they have been tormented. 500 years they have been oppressed and dominated and controlled. And it's from that perspective that they now see this current situation. You see, they have come up out of Egypt, but they are still viewing things as if they were in Egypt still. They've come up out of slavery, but the slavery has yet to come out of them. Do you see that? And so that's how they view what's going on. They are viewing the present situation through their past experiences. And so they whinge, they complain, and they fuss because they believe they're powerless in this place. And you see, that's what I find will often happen with with many people where they get stuck with with many of my clients, that that they're viewing their present situation through their past experiences, their past experiences of failure, of regret, of sadness, their past experiences of neglect or abuse, their past experiences of regret. And they're using that to view what's going on right now. And so they'll say to me, you know, Richard, with all that I have come through, with all that I have experienced, with all that has happened to me, or with all that I have done or all that I have failed to do, today, I walk with a limp. Today, I walk with pain. I walk with sadness. Today, I walk with shame. I walk with regret. And so one of the things that I'll need to work with them over is, you know, what has happened has happened. But it does not define who you are. What has happened has happened, but it has come from you. But it is not the essence of who you are. You see, we have a God who has forgiven you everything and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And they may say, well, Richard, I get that. I get that God has forgiven me everything and he's cleansed me of all unrighteousness. But you see, when I look at what I've experienced, what I've come through, what do I see of me? What do I feel about me? I'm a failure. I'm inadequate. I'm insufficient. I'm disqualified. 
You see, sure, you, I know that I'm forgiven everything. I know that I'm cleansed of all unrighteousness. But you see, you've got to understand, I'm the one who had the affair. And I can't undo that. So sure, God may have forgiven me. He may have cleansed me of all unrighteousness. But I still carry the bags of regret over all that has happened because I cannot undo what has been done. And so one of the things I may say to them is tell me, what do you know now that you didn't know then? Oh, they'll say, so many things. And they'll list off all that is different that they understand now compared to what they understood before. And I might say, so if we took you as you are now, as you understand all of this, and we were to take you back and put you in the place of your previous self, you know, what would be different? Oh, if only that were true, if only that could happen, everything would be different. And if we took you as you are now with all that you know, and if we put you in a future situation where you were facing something similar, tell me what would be different now going forward? Well, everything, everything would be different. So if that's the case, did it ever occur to you that you can put these bags down because they actually no longer belong to you? They belong to who you were, not to who you are. Because when you know something different, you become someone different. So you can put these bags down because they belong to a different version of you. And I'll say, and as you hear that, just tell me what, 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 what goes on, what's different inside of you. Well, I realize now that these, these don't belong to me. These belong to an old version of me. These, these belong to Jesus, who have died, who's died in my place. So what do I realize now? That it's safe to let these bags go. It's safe to walk on because this is no longer me. Now, you still may have to face the consequences of all that took place. You still may need to take responsibility for what happened. But these bags, these are no longer you. You have a God who has forgiven you everything and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And when you know something that you didn't know before, you also become someone different. That what has happened has happened, but it has happened from you. It is not the essence of who you are. Or alternatively, if there are so many things that have happened to you, experiences of injustice, neglect, abuse, things that have happened to you, that are way upon you. One of the things that we realize is all that the past version of you is doing is handing these experiences over to the present version of you. But the good news, this, this does not define who you are. The good news is this, this is what you still get to choose, what you do with this and how you move on from this. So it may have happened, but it never has defined who you are. See, my friends, we need to bring closure on our past so that it no longer pursues us.
And this is one of the things that we see happening in the passage, that God is about to bring closure on Israel's past so that it no longer pursues them going forward. But the Israelites have yet to catch up with that. The Israelites have yet to remember that they are sons and daughters of Abraham, that they are sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are still captivated with how things have always been. And so they look through a powerless perspective and they whinge, they complain, they fuss. When we notice that we're still operating in powerlessness, complaining, whinging, fussing comes out of us naturally, which simply is an indicator there's something we need to bring closure on so that we can rediscover who we actually are. Now, they have a powerless perspective, but into our passage, Moses now speaks. Now, Moses, Moses is a man of faith, and Moses speaks from a faith perspective, from all that he has experienced of God. And what does Moses say? He says to them, don't be afraid, stand firm, be still. Don't be afraid. My friends, do you realize that fear is a powerful form of faith? Because when you think about it, what are you doing when you fear? You have a strong conviction that something that hasn't happened will happen. It's just that it's the worst case scenario. But the kind of faith that God calls us to is a faith, a faith of hope where you might have a strong conviction that something that hasn't happened will happen and it will be God's best. And so one of the things that, that there's an encouragement here, and we see an encouragement throughout Scripture, is to continue to have faith and do not be afraid because fear quenches faith in God in all that God wants to do. So Moses is encouraging the people and he says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Now, if you were the Israelites, it would be fair enough to ask, um, yes, but Moses, exactly how do we stand firm? I mean, we're up against the Red Sea. We've got Pharaoh's army bearing down. He's going to come. He's going to slaughter us. I mean, what do we do? Do we just stand here? Or do we just let it happen? We've got to say, Moses, the facts, they don't look good. And my friends, when you're facing such difficult situations where the facts don't look good. How do we stand firm in the face of such things? Well, I find there is such a reassuring answer that we gain in Psalm 121. I don't know if you've come across this passage before. But in it, what we read here is, is where, where, where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I have often heard that passage misquoted. Have you come across that? And for those of you who love syntax and grammar, it's the difference between a question and a statement. You see, oftentimes what I'll find is that people will, will, will read this passage as if it's a statement. And they will read it. I lift my eyes to the mountains. That's where my help comes from. 
And it always makes me wonder, what is it about hills and mountains that make them so helpful? And is it any particular mountain or hill, or can I just choose one? And, and also, if we're going to go down that track, what exactly constitutes a hill or a mountain? So if I put a mound of soil in my backyard, is that sufficient from which I can draw some help? But of course, it's not a statement. It's a question. When I lift my eyes to the mountains and the hills, I've got to ask, where does my help come from? Now, equally, you could ask, what is it about hills and mountains that make them so scary? Well, you see, back in that day, when the psalmist is writing, in that day and age, up along the hill line, on the mountain line, that is where they put their idols. That's where they put their statues to Baal and their Asher poles. That's where they put their power figures. So as the psalmist walks out into his society, what does he see? He sees a society that is worshipping all of these idols that seem to be misleading and corrupting them. He walks out and he sees a world that is overwhelmed by idols that are moving people away from God. And when he looks out and he goes out and he says, I see all these things that other people are drawing their hope from, their help from, their power from, that is in fact messing up our society. And as I look out on all of that, I've got to ask, where does my help come from? And that's where he realizes as he encourages himself, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So you have your statues, your, your asher poles. I have the God who has created the universe. You have these things that are seen. I have the power of the one who is unseen. So as I walk out and I see things where the facts don't look good, I will stand firm in my faith of the one who is unseen. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. Now, I love that phrase, be still. It's a lovely little phrase, isn't it? And of course, probably in the most famous place that we read about it is in Psalm 46, verse 10, where the Lord is saying, be still and know that I am God. Now, one of the things that I love about that passage is that passage is not written in a gentle peacetime. It is not God saying, you know what? When you've got a quiet moment and you're just walking along the stream, just be still and know that I'm God. This psalm is actually written in the heat of battle. This is where it's written saying things like, you know, when, when the war is raging against you, when things seem to be falling down around your ears, that in the midst of all of that, be still. And know that I am God. And what I love even more is that we under-translate this passage, this phrase. Are you aware of that? That this phrase, be still, actually has far more intensity in the Hebrew. That if we were to translate this phrase more accurately, it would need to be translated. Shut up! Shut up and know that I am God. Stop your whinging. Stop your fussing and know who I am. Shut up. And so often as I sit with my clients, what I need to say to them. No, I don't tell them to shut up. 
What I need to say to them is, as you are facing all of these things that are raging against you, you need to tell those thoughts, those feelings that are raging and waging war against your mind to sit down and shut up as you hold on to the truth, as you hold on to the one who is the truth. To tell these thoughts and feelings, to sit down and shut up, to be still and know who I am. So this is what Moses brings. He brings a faith perspective. Don't be afraid. Stand firm in the face where things don't look good. And be still and know who your God is. Now that's the faith perspective. And you've got to say Moses nails the faith perspective, doesn't he? Now you'd also think that the faith perspective is the pinnacle perspective. I mean, this is the summation of our faith, is it not? To be still, to trust in the Lord, to watch Him bring about deliverance. We would think that that is the pinnacle, that that is the summation, that that is where we need to get to. And yet, God is yet to speak. And when God speaks, He takes it to a whole new level. And He comes in and He says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Now, again, to be fair, if you were Moses, (laughs) you'd probably say, "Ah, Lord, isn't it pretty obvious? I mean, we're up against the Red Sea. We've got Pharaoh's army descending upon us. There's an ensuing massacre about to happen. And you are our God. You are our deliverer. You've brought us here. So why would we not cry out to you? And God says to her, Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand, and divide the sea so that the Israelites can walk on dry ground. Oh, says Moses, I forgot that one. (laughs) You see, he's saying, Moses, I have given you power and authority to make something happen. So take the people and get them to move. You see, my friends, what we read here, one of the things I want you to get is if you have faith in God, that is excellent. But never lose sight of the fact that He has faith in you. He has given you power and authority to make things happen. So don't paint yourself powerless. Don't forget that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. So take what He has given you, where He is calling you, and make something happen. Now, it might be fair at that point to ask, um, how do we do that? Well, in the passage, the phrase to move forward is nausa, which means to move forward in stages. How do we make this happen? One step at a time. You see, the image there in the Hebrew of nausa is the image of pulling up your tent pegs. You see, my friends, when you know God is calling you on, you may not know where He's calling you. You may not know how you're going to get there. But what you can do is pull up your tent pegs and pack up your camp and get ready to move. Do what you can do, not what you can't. Do what you can do and leave to God what you cannot do. And you see, what I'll find, though, is many people will be restricting what God is wanting to do in them. They're shutting it down. They're waiting for God to make it clear on where He wants them to go, but He's already placed it inside of you. 
And what we need to do is we need to dream out what God has dreamed in. And so at that point, rather than waiting, we, we, we dream out what God has put into us and recognize it is not that the dream is too big because oftentimes we will edit out what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. But in fact, what often is the case is not that the dream is too big, but the steps aren't small enough. What's the next step that God is calling you to? And again, what people will do is they'll shut down what God is calling them to because they'll say, but it won't matter if I do that. But those people won't listen. And so they won't do anything. What are you called to do? Is you to find out and to dream out what God is calling you to. And do what you can, not what you can't. What's the next step that God is calling you to? Take the step in faith. Take the step in authority. And make something happen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.